right, good morning, Emmaus. If you would, take your Bible and open to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We'll have the verses up on the screen as well, but if you have access to the Bible there in front of you or on your phone or iPad with you, if you want to open that up, Acts chapter 17, we are working through a sermon series that will take us up to Easter. The end of Acts 17 is the passage we're going to use on Easter Sunday morning. So last week we talked about up as we focus our lives up on God in prayer and praise. This week we talk about in. God, what do you want to do in my life through through your word? We don't want to have a type of religion that's only external, where everything looks good on the outside, but inside we're a mess. We're saying, God, do a work on the inside of us that then comes out. Do this work, and this work you do inside of us, you do by your word and by the power of your spirit. And so we're, we're thinking through that idea. Now, thinking about Easter, and that only coming up in, in a couple of weeks, let me give you an idea of the game plan for Easter at Emmaus. We're going to have three services this Easter, 8 a.m., 9.15, 10.45. All three of those services will be identical in music, prayer, study of God's Word, so they'll, they'll all be the same service, 8 o'clock, 9.15, 10.45. If you could help us, if you're a part of Emmaus and you've been around for a while and, and your sleep pattern and alarm clock allows for it, if you could attend that 8 o'clock service, that really helps us accommodate people in the 9.15 and 10.45 service and to continue to social distance and provide the best opportunity when people come. So if you think, you know what, I could probably be there at 8 o'clock on Easter. It's not quite a sunrise service, but it's, it's getting there. It's pretty close. And so if you could be a part of that 8 o'clock service, that definitely helps us serve families who are coming at 9.15 and 10.45. We're going to have different opportunities. If you bring kids, grandkids, neighbors with you, we'll have different opportunities for our kids between the services. Our children's ministry staff has set up something for our kids to do in this north hallway, family photo booths, all those fun things that we do on Easter. So we're excited about that opportunity. But just want you to know, this is the game plan for Easter. We've got some cards, postcards out in the lobby about this. If you want to invite coworkers or neighbors or friends to be a part of Easter with you, it's a great opportunity to talk about faith with people that sometimes that conversation can be a little awkward and a little hard to get into. Easter's a good opportunity uh, to do that. So we want you to know that that opportunity is out there for you. This morning, we want to talk about being a Berean church. What does it mean to be a Berean church? What does it mean for God to do this work on the inside of us by his word? And then how do we live that out? Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. 
May God bless the reading of his word. I wonder if you have anybody in your life who has the spiritual gift of fact-checking. So whatever somebody says in conversation or whatever somebody says around you, they are always fact-checking to determine whether or not that's actually true. Uh, The last couple of years in our world, uh, just the strain of so much false information that gets put around and you read something or watch something and and you intuitively ask is that really true is that actually the case uh mike rowe who's famous from the dirty job show and i think he did a lot of the narration on deadliest catch and things like that mike rowe talk calls these people the correctors uh, no matter what you say, they follow it up with, well, actually, and then they follow up with something that they know about the subject or some way to, to fill in the information. What we find here in Acts chapter 17 is a good form of fact-checking, where this church at Berea is hearing this word that Paul is giving, and they want to know from the scriptures, is this the case? Is this really what God has said? They are, they are fact-checking what is coming to them from another preacher. And can let's just say, that's good. You, you need to be doing that every Sunday morning as we gather together. You need to be doing that as you're exposed to material throughout the week. This is a good practice. Let me also say, though, added on to this, to be a Berean church is not to have an overly critical spirit. To be a Berean church and to say, we want to make sure that what we hear is accurate and true, that's good. But it's not just the content, it's the heart behind something like that. God, let us focus not only on the information we hear, but our attitude and our actions and the way we assess the the character of the people around us. We live in a world where people can have very critical spirits. We live in a gotcha, cancel culture type of world. And frankly, as the people of God, we have an opportunity in those situations to respond with encouragement and gentleness and peace and hope because our lives have been transformed by the gospel. And so this morning, what I want us to do is work our way through these verses, studying these verses, and then I want to give you two forms of encouragement that come from these verses. Because here at Emmaus, when we talk about the word in, I in, what God does in us, the word we use to talk about that is the word encouragement. Unfortunately, encouragement doesn't begin I-N, it begins E-N, so it messes up our whole little thing, but you get the idea. When we talk about in, God, what do you want to do in? We want to focus on the word encouragement. All right, let's study these verses together this morning and see the way this comes together. In verse 10, what you have here is you find that the brothers there in Thessalonica, because of trouble that's happening, they are immediately sending Paul and Silas away from Thessalonica, where all this trouble's developing, and they're sending them to Berea. Now, a good question to ask when you're studying Scripture is, okay, where are these places on a, net, on a map? Where is Berea in relation to Thessalonica? So, depending on how good your eyesight is feeling this morning, I have a, a map up here. From last week, we talked about at this point, Paul is following what was the I-40 of the ancient world. He's following this famous road that cut east to west across the ancient world that was called the Via Ignatia. It was the I-40 of the ancient world, and he's been traveling on this road. When he gets to Thessalonica, though, as he's leaving town, 
he for some reason cuts off on I-35. <laughs> we don't know exactly why he begins to turn a little bit south at this point, or maybe more technically cuts off on I-44 if we're keeping the, uh, the directions exactly accurate. But he cuts off this main road because he wants to stay in this one general area, and it takes him to the town of Berea, a town that was not as significant as Thessalonica, but was still an important town in the region. Look what happens when he gets there to Berea. When they left Thessalonica and they come to Berea, what happens? When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, a couple of questions we have to ask here. Trouble develops in Thessalonica, and so Paul and Silas are sent away from Thessalonica. Are they cowards? Are, are they running from trouble? Like, why didn't they just stay in Thessalonica and deal with the trouble that's happening there? Well, we find that they're not cowards because what happens when they go to the next town? They just keep preaching Jesus. They just keep going to synagogues. They just keep doing what they've been called to do. What you find here is just a form of discernment and wisdom we all have to have. God, when do I stay in this hard situation and when is it time to move on? There's a famous story from the early church with a gentleman named Cyprian of Carthage. Cyprian was one of the main leaders in the early church. And in the year 250, AD, a terrible persecution broke out in, in the Roman Empire. And in this situation, the persecution comes to the area where Cyprian is one of the church leaders, and he flees that area and goes into hiding in order to continue to be able to lead the church and to provide guidance for the church. And there are some people saying, Cyprian, uh, shouldn't you have stayed and dealt with the persecution, the trouble that was happening? But in that moment, he felt like he should flee. Well, Fast forward 12 years, 262 to 264, the persecution returns, and this time he doesn't flee. He stays and is ultimately martyred for his faith. One situation he left, another situation he stayed. You see the same pattern in the ministry of Jesus. There are situations that Jesus is facing opposition and he'll slip out unnoticed and keep going with his ministry, and then ultimately when the time is right, he doesn't slip away. He, he gives up his life. And so what you see in Paul and Silas right here is not cowardice. It's faith. It's discernment. It's wisdom. It's God, what are you calling us to do? And they continue when they go to the next place to do exactly what they were called to do in the previous place. Now look what happens in verse 11. In verse 11, it says when they get to Berea and they go in and spend time in this Jewish synagogue, now these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The word noble is important in this verse because it carries an ironic sense. It, it's used in kind of a, a flip it over type of sense. The word noble here is a word that generally meant someone who was born into high class. So if you were born to high society, if you were born to money, if you were born into influence, you were a person of nobility. That's normally how this word is used. What makes it ironic is that the people who lived in Berea were not considered as noble as those who lived in Thessalonica. So normally, if someone would have been described as noble or of higher class, they would have been associated with Thessalonica, not with Berea. But here, these people are called noble. The, the only illustration, and I use this 
pretty much jokingly, but it's kind of the way those of us that live on the south side of the metro area like to think about our friends that live on the north side of the metro area. Like they might be a little more high class, but we're gritty. Like we get things done on the south side. We know how to operate down here and, and make things happen. So even though they might be considered more noble, we understand nobility here on the south side in a different way. What happens in Berea? What makes them noble? They hear and respond to the word of God. They hear and respond to the word of God. And Paul, well Luke writing this, is saying that kind of nobility is greater than any social standing you could ever have. And let's just say that again so we're all on the same page. It doesn't matter your economic standing, your social standing, what family you were born into. What makes a person valuable in the sight of God is that we hear and respond to his word. Look at the second half of verse 11. The second half of verse 11. What happens here? They received the word that Paul gave them with all eagerness. They received it with eagerness. We're going to talk about this some more in, in just a little bit. They received it, and then what they do, they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That word in your Bible, examine there, it is a judicial word that has to do with interrogating something or examining either a person or a piece of evidence. They are getting into the details of this and saying, is this accurate? Does this match up at this point? They're examining what Paul has said to make sure it matches up with the scriptures. And they're doing this daily. This is something, they don't just do it like the people in Thessalonica did when they came together on the Sabbath. This is something they're getting into every single day of the week. Verse 12. Many of them therefore believed. This also is kind of a shot at the Thessalonians at this point, because if you look back in verse 4, how many of the Thessalonians responded and believed? Some. You get to Berea, and Luke says, many believed here in Berea. So it's, it's another way of elevating the way they've responded to the word. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing. In Thessalonians, back there in the early verses of chapter 17, we found that there were people of high standing and women. Here, Luke just pulls them together and says, many women of high standing responded to the gospel, and a few men as well. But here's Luke again, elevating the role that women played in the early church and the, what it meant for them to respond to the word of God. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. What makes this interesting is it looks like in Berea, even the people who didn't believe initially weren't antagonistic about it. Like they were wanting to hear the word, figure out what it meant, make a response to it. But these Jews came down from the north part of the metro. Just kidding. They came down from the north, from Thessalonica, and they started to cause trouble there in Berea. We live in a world where sometimes you think to yourself every week, what am I supposed to be mad about this week? <laughs> like where, where some people's role in, in the world is just to agitate and stir up the crowds. Like I didn't know I was supposed to be mad about that, but apparently I'm supposed to be mad about that. And so we're constantly stirring people up. Instead of receiving this word, the Jews from north come down to Berea and begin to stir up the crowds. Verse 14 then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul, this is verse 15, those who conducted Paul 
brought him as far as Athens. We'll get to that next week and, and even the week after on Easter. But they bring him down to Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. You see how this story of the Bereans in these verses is framed by Paul having to leave a difficult situation at the beginning. It takes him to Berea. He gets to Berea. He does what he's called to do. And what does he have to do? He has to leave again because trouble that's coming. So this whole situation is framed by the difficulty that Paul faces in his ministry. Now, from those verses, the way that it's framed, this passage, with opposition, and then the way the Word of God sits at the middle of the Berean passage, I want to give you two types of encouragement that will make a difference for you in your spiritual life, and frankly, will make a difference for us as a church. So what we're trying to think of, make sure we're all on the same page, from this Berean passage, there are two types of encouragement that every single one of us needs, and it will make the difference for how we operate as a church. Number one, we are called to encourage one another amid opposition and difficulty. This whole passage of the Bereans is framed by the opposition and difficulty that Paul experienced. What did Jesus say about life in this world? In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> like, not to be surprised by that, that in this world as we seek to live for him, there will be opposition that will come. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The message of the book of Acts is about the advancement of the gospel beyond every imaginable boundary, geographic boundaries, ethnic boundaries, socioeconomic boundaries. Every time the gospel goes forward, it hits a wall, it hits a boundary, and it just keeps going because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the gospel continues to advance beyond all kinds of opposition and difficulty. And it's internal opposition that rises up within the church when there's lying about money or the widows aren't being taken care of or there's divisions that are starting to come up in the church or there's false teaching that's happening. All of this opposition that comes, guess what? The gospel doesn't stop. The kingdom of God is not, not destroyed. It, it keeps moving forward. So there's internal opposition, but there's also external opposition. This is when forces outside the church begin to come in and cause trouble. And this is what you see Paul facing so often in his ministry. Friends, in this world, there will be opposition. And in this world, there will be difficulty. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be overcome. The kingdom of God will not be stopped. When other people see opposition we will see opportunities because we're driven by love, not by fear. And when other people see problems, we will see possibilities because we're driven by hope, not despair. As the church of Jesus Christ, we will not play this game where we're constantly looking at oppositions and problems and then acting like the gospel is not going to make it. We live in a world, we live in a culture where that opposition and difficulty, frankly, is probably going to ramp up. That, that seems to be the case. But you know what happens when opposition comes to the church and to the gospel? The church advances. 
and the gospel spreads and the kingdom of God does not falter. And so as a church, we have to determine now that what other people see as opposition and problems, we just see as opportunities and possibilities. And we're gonna run forward with love and hope, not with fear and despair, that we are going to encourage one another to continue to advance the gospel. Now what's at the root of this? What allows this to happen? It's that beautiful passage in Hebrews chapter 10. That passage that many of you have learned and memorized. I know Jim keeps in front of us as a church so often. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through the beginning of 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, that, that phrase, stir up, you may know is a phrase that normally uh, has a negative idea behind it. It's the word about pushing somebody's buttons. You probably have people in your life who are really good at pushing your buttons and causing all the worst of you to come out when they push your buttons. This is pushing somebody's buttons and making them go in the right direction, provoking them toward love and good deeds, that we have people around us who are able to move us in the right direction toward, God, I want to live for you completely, and not neglecting to meet together because we need one another. When opposition and difficulty comes, you know what you need? You need somebody around you specifically to encourage you. Look at the end of verse 25. We want to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'm almost certain that I've shared this before, but it is so helpful. I want to put it out there again. This comes from Hans Dilbeck, who is the uh, executive director for Oklahoma Baptist. This word encourage is a word that has two sides to the coin. It can mean comfort, but it can also mean admonish and try to encourage someone to move forward. Here's the way Hans describes it, and it has been so helpful for me. The word encourage can mean arm around the shoulder, and it can also mean hand in the back. So when you're called to encourage someone, Sometimes that means you put your arm around their shoulder and say, I'm with you, I love you, I know this is a hard time, and I will be here with you, and we're going to remember that God is good. And we need people who encourage us in that way, put their hand around our shoulder. But you know what you sometimes need in life? You need somebody to put their hand in your back and say, hey, let's get going. Like, we're not going to go that way. We're not going to live for the things of the world. We're not going to chase after that. We need somebody to put their hand in our back and say, we're gonna follow after Jesus and let's do this together. That type of encouragement will make all the difference in the church. And it's the reason we need one another. I need somebody in my life who will comfort me and I need someone in my life who will challenge me and say, let's go after the things of Jesus. So the first type of encouragement is the type of encouragement we need as a church when you go through difficulty in life and we start to face greater and greater opposition from the world around us. Number two, this is the core of that, that passage. In fact, even look back with me in verse 11 there in, in chapter 17. Remember what it said there, that the Jews there in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica? Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The second type of encouragement is encouraging someone to know and obey the word of God. How do you comfort someone and challenge them? You do it with the word of God. 
We as the church want to be a church that is based on the word of God, that we would know and obey the word, that we would be this Berean church. What characterizes the Berean church when it comes to God's word? They are eager for the word of God. So this is a really easy preaching point, but just ask yourself the question, am I eager for the word of God? Am I hungry to hear God's word taught? Am I eager to study his word with a group and individually? Do I have an eagerness, a desire for the things of God that I want to receive these that the the Berean church had? The King James Version here has a really great translation. Instead of eagerness, I think it uses the word readiness, a readiness for the word of God. This idea, God, I want to be humble and teachable. The further I go in the Christian life, the more I desire the word of God, not less. You know that beautiful part of when you study scripture and you read a passage and you say, I know I've read that before, but I have never seen that. Like I read it and I read it and I study it and the power and the beauty of God's word continues to come to the surface that we have as a church an eagerness and a humility and a teachable spirit that says, God, at the end of the day, what we need more than anything is we need your word. And that's a group project. That's we need one another to distribute demonstrate this type of eagerness and readiness to receive the word of God. So we want to be eager, we want to be humble, we want to be teachable. But really what sets the Berean church apart here is they were wise and discerning. (laughs) Just because they heard something on the radio or, or on TV doesn't necessarily mean they just immediately said, yeah, that matches the word of God. They examine what they received, they examine what they heard to make sure it matches up with the word. The question is, How do you become this type of church? God, how do we become a Berean church that examines the word? Number one, know and value the importance of the local church in this task. What you need around you is a group of people who also love the word of God and who are wise and diverse and spiritual and who you can turn to and say, hey, I was studying the other day or I heard this on the radio, or I read this in a book. Let's look at this together. Sometimes when we think about examining the word of God and testing whether something is true, we make it to be an individual pursuit. This is a team game. This is why you need a Sunday school class. This is why you need a Bible study group that you meet with. This is why you need people around you that you trust and have spiritual conversations with, and you can talk through these things of what does it mean to examine the word of God. It's also the gift of having spiritual teachers and leaders in the church who are committed to teaching the word of God, who say, here's the word of God, let me try to present it to you in the most straightforward, fresh, direct way that I can so that together we learn what is true, together we learn how to study the word of God, together we say, are these things matching up with scripture? So we wanna value the importance of the local church in this process. How are you able to examine whether something matches the word of God? Well, you need to know the word of God. (laughs) That it begins with, if I know what is true and I hear something on the radio or read it in a book, the Holy Spirit will bring kind of that like flashing red light to your mind. It says, something here doesn't seem right. Something here doesn't seem to match scripture. We want to be those who know the word of God, know the storyline of scripture, Know the gift of the Old Testament to point us toward Jesus. 
know the hope of the gospel throughout the Bible. So if we read something or hear something, we come back and say, does this fit? Does this match with what I know in Scripture? That you know how to study Scripture. So you can analyze and say, how did they reach this conclusion? Does that really match what we know to be true of the Word of God? If you ask yourself, I would really like to do that better. Like, I want to be able to study Scripture. I want to be able to know those things. How do I do that? Let me give you a couple of options, a couple of ideas. The first is, with my email that I try to send out every week, or I miss a few weeks here and there, but the church-wide email that goes out, this week I'm going to have an attachment on that email that I put together that's just a really basic how to study scripture. So if you don't normally get that email, there's a little card in the seat back in front of you, or if you're watching online, let us know and, and we'll get that out to you. Fill that card out, put your email address on there, drop it in one of these boxes or give it to me after the service. I'd love to include you on that or, or get you a copy of that. Here's the other thing I would point you to. If you want to learn more about studying scripture, after Easter, we're going to begin an extended study through the book of Daniel. And as we go through that book, even the process of studying through a book of the Bible on Sunday morning is a great lesson in God, teach me your word so I'll be able to examine it more carefully, examine what I hear. Out in the lobby, we have some Daniel scripture journals available for purchase. If you want to have a personal journal to study through the book of Daniel as we go through the sermon series, we've got those available out there. At the end of the day, are we taking seriously what it means to know and study the Word of God? God, let us be a church that's not gullible. That we don't just eat up everything we see on the internet, everything we hear on the radio, everything we read in a book. We want to examine and say, is this true? Does this match up with Scripture? And as we do it, we're thinking not just about content, but, but the character of person. So often in the New Testament, false, analyzing false teaching goes back to the false teacher's character and behavior in the world. And if we're not careful in the celebrity Christian world we live in today, we get so enamored by a person's ability to teach and speak well and present information that we let character issues and behavior get pushed to the side, and that's not being a Berean church either. That as we understand what it is to receive the word of God, that we keep watch over not only a person's teaching, but, but their life as well. So what do we know about the Berean church? They were eager to receive the word of God. They knew scripture, and they were responsive to the word of God. And, and this is the part I want to end with, because I think this is particularly important. It's not just that we receive the word of God, but we respond to it. So we have to ask the question, God, as I hear your word this morning, what are you calling me to do in response to that word? Well, what's, what's the point of the message this morning? It's when we're gathered together as a church, we're called to encourage one another. Who do you know who's going through a difficult time in life and you have the calling and opportunity to encourage them? Who do you know that is living in more of fear of culture right now as opposed to seeing the gospel go forward and you have a chance to encourage them? What are you doing right now to, to study God's word? If you are not in the habit right now of reading the Bible or studying scripture, let me give you a place to begin this week. So you think, I have nowhere to start. I don't know what I would do next. What, what would I do tomorrow if I wanted to start this process? If you want to start this process this week, six chapters at the beginning of Daniel, 
six days, Monday through Saturday this week. Just make a commitment this week. If you've not read the Bible in a long time, I'm going to read the first six chapters of Daniel this week, Monday through Saturday, and just begin to take a couple of notes, see what stands out to you, and let this prepare your heart for where we're going to go in April and, and through the summer. It's a great starting place. And if you're not connected to a local church, if you're not a member of a local church, if you're not tied in with a Bible study group and a people who are able to encourage you on a weekly basis to follow after Jesus, let me call you to do that. If you have questions about joining the church or getting connected to a group, as soon as we sing this last song, I'll be available for you. I'd love to be able to pray for you, encourage you in that process. At the end of the day, we need encouragement. Where does that encouragement comes, come from? It comes from a church that's committed to the word of God. We want to be that type of church. Let me pray for you. We're going to sing one final song together. Father, so many times we've heard about uh, the Berean church from Acts chapter 17. And God, I know there's entire ministries that are named after this church. Um, the importance of examining what we hear against your word. God, at the end of the day, I pray that Emmaus would be a church that's built on the word of God. And God, I pray that we would be an encouraging church. God, we would encourage one another through times of difficulty and opposition. We wouldn't live in fear or despair, God, but we would know you're at work. And God, I pray that we would be a kind of church where we encourage one another to know and obey your word. God, help us, help us, God, to grow in that. Use us in the weeks ahead. God, if there's somebody here who maybe it's been a long time since they've interacted with the Bible personally or they've been a part of a church or a small group, God, I pray that you would move them in that direction. God, that they would hear your word and that they would respond in faith. And God, here as we've seen this final song, remind us of our hope in the gospel. Remind us of what we believe and how that draws us together. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.